Hello, and welcome to Proskauer Benefits Brief, legal insights on employee benefits and executive compensation. I'm Robert Projansky, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Garrett Fenton of Microsoft Corporation. Today, we're going to talk about cybersecurity and employee benefit plans. Let me first introduce Garrett. Garrett's a senior attorney at Microsoft Corporation, and he deals with all issues related to employee benefits and executive compensation at Microsoft. That includes the health plans, 401k plans, retirement plans, and non-qualified deferred compensation plans. And in dealing with those plans, cybersecurity has certainly been a focus of Garrett's on an ongoing basis. So thank you so much, Garrett, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Today, we're going to talk about just that issue. And I guess the first issue is, why are we even talking about this? Why do, why are plans so vulnerable to cybersecurity breaches? I think the answer is that from a cyber criminal's perspective, employee data is juicy. It's not just that there's a lot of it, and there is, but it's incredibly sensitive in nature. Social security numbers, birthdays, bank accounts, medical information, beneficiary information, and the like. Not only that, participants aren't just employees, they're former employees. So that's an extra bonus for the cyber criminal. In recent years, we've heard a lot about data-rich healthcare entities being a prime target of hackers, resulting in mega breaches of employee data. It seems to me that employee benefit plans are very close cousins in terms of the kind of data that they hold. What's more, benefit plans don't just hold the data, They share it with a number of different kinds of service providers. They give people electronic access to it. And that creates multiple points of entry and vulnerabilities. In the world of COVID, that can be even worse. It increased vulnerability with the country working at home. It's not just people at Proskauer and Microsoft where people are working at home, but it's our record keepers and our in-house benefit professionals our ASOs on the healthcare side. With all of that electronic data getting accessed in various ways it didn't before, that creates a lot of risk. So let's turn to you, Garrett. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about what kinds of frauds you're seeing out there in the world from a cybersecurity perspective and employee benefit plans. Sure, thank you for having me today, Robert. So you raised a lot of good points that are really top of mind for a lot of benefits professionals and certainly people like myself who are advising plan sponsors and in my role at Microsoft. As far as what we're seeing today, we're seeing a lot of cases that are starting to crop up, certainly in recent times, some have very similar types of fact patterns, the sort of cybercrime type of cases, particularly in the 401 context, where we have, as you mentioned, all sorts of rich data from participants that is going back and forth from participants to record keepers, and not only the data itself, but certainly in the 401k or 403b context, potentially, you've got actual funds and quite a lot of them sitting around that a crafty identity thief or cyber criminal could potentially get a hold of. So we've seen certainly in the last year or so, some cases starting to crop up, particularly looking at in the 401k context, where I have been really focused on this, where you have, again, sort of similar fact patterns that have been coming up where unknown cyber criminals, identity thefts are able to essentially access participants' accounts, obtain all sorts of data, and perhaps most importantly, actually drain the funds from that account, usually in multiple transactions, the money going overseas, and it's probably never going to come back again. It could you know, be accomplished by accessing participants' email password, for example. Then the person goes on to the 401k platform and clicks forgot password using the participant's email and is able to go in and essentially pretend to be that participant, reset the password and do whatever they want with that participant's account. Or it could be that a participant in one of the cases actually made a legitimate 401k withdrawal and a cyber criminal was able to essentially stock that and hack into the participant's account that way. And as you said, Robert, you know, with more people working from home now, 
possibly using less secure home networks, maybe more likely to use a Starbucks Wi-Fi to check their 401k account or even just checking their email. It really does seem to make this a much more serious risk, perhaps, than non-COVID pandemic times, for sure. I guess the next question really is, so if there's one thing I've learned at Proskauer here for a number of years, it's that when there are losses and benefit plans, you can pretty much bet that somebody's going to sue somebody. You mentioned fact patterns. Are people getting sued in these cases? And if so, who is it that's getting sued? Is it the record keeper? Is it the plan? Is it everybody? What's happening? Right generally expect that when these types of facts occur that, you know, there is going to be a lawsuit filed and it's probably going to be everyone that's going to be sued. That, that's my assumption. I expect the plaintiff to sue, you know, participant in this case would sue the record keeper, the plan, the employer, really everybody. And we have seen that few cases, at least so far, the record keeper, the plan, fiduciaries, the employer, all getting sued. In some cases, the record keeper and the employer are then pointing the fingers at each other and counterclaiming against each other for contribution and indemnity. And in many of the cases, the defendants, the employers, the record keepers, the plans, et cetera, will then be pointing the finger back at the participant and saying that really it's the participant that's to blame, at least partially, because again, the most likely risks that are going to lead to these types of fraudulent behaviors and draining of someone's 401k account are going to be participant driven. It's things like weak passwords, phishing scams, you know, using un unsecured personal networks or that Starbucks network. That's usually what's at least partially going to be to, to blame for this. And so I guess the, the short answer being that I generally expect that everybody will get sued and everybody will be pointing the finger at each other. And so what kind of claims are being made against the record keeper or the plan administrator in these sorts of cases? So we're seeing breach of fiduciary duty claims under ERISA, essentially arguing that the employer, the record keeper, the plan, the fiduciaries all had a you know a fiduciary duty to essentially act prudently, which you know certainly they did if they if to the extent they are fiduciaries. And plaintiffs alleging that they effectively breached that duty by failing to implement you know sufficient controls to prevent these types of cyber criminals to be able to go in and access their 401k accounts, whether it's the record keeper didn't have two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication or voice print type technology that they, you know, arguably should have had in place to allow participants to, you know, take steps to protect themselves or, you know, failing to notice any abnormal withdrawal requests that may be coming in on a participant's account and verifying with a participant that they did indeed make those withdrawal requests. There was one case in particular, the Leventhal case, that one, dealt with similar types of facts that I mentioned before, where a participant's 401k account had been drained in multiple transactions in a, a short period of time from a cyber criminal. And there was even an email from someone at the record keeper saying something to the effect of, you know, here's another one, this guy's about to be out of money soon. But the company never actually alerted the employer or the participant of those concerns or the fact that there was this sort of abnormal withdrawal behavior going on. Allegedly failing to notice these types of abnormal behaviors, failing to react quickly enough, notify the participants, take steps to mitigate harm and remediate, you know, anything as soon as possible that we're seeing a lot of these cases deriving from. And have courts ruled on any of these in a way that's sort of helpful for us to understand where they're going with this? You know, there haven't really been any decisions on the merits yet, at least not that I'm aware of. Certainly been watching this very closely. There was one case, uh, Estee Lauder case, that settled earlier this year. So, you know, with the settlement, unfortunately, we didn't get any you know, helpful case law to come out of that. There's a Leventhal case I mentioned earlier that actually survived a motion to dismiss last year. Unfortunately for the defendants there, it was able to move forward, but has not 
you know, reached the merits yet, at least at that phase of the case. And then just recently in that same case, the record keepers counterclaims against the plan sponsor for contribution and indemnity survived a plan sponsor's motion to dismiss just recently. So again, everyone pointing the finger at everybody. So I guess we can say there's been some litigation developments in the sense that they've survived motions to dismiss, but nothing on the merits yet. And then the other, you know, big case we've been following, the Abbott Labs case, that similar facts as the, the cases I've been talking about, Abbott Labs being the defendant as well as the plan administrator. The judge in that case actually did grant Abbott and the plan administrator's motion to dismiss a little while back, but then the plaintiff filed an amended complaint. And that is now actually just a few days ago on November 20th, the uh, Abbott and the plan administrator filed another motion to dismiss. And so that's pending at this point. So there's still a lot to be determined as far as how the, these cases develop and the case law we may get out of it that's helpful, but we're still somewhat in a holding pattern and waiting to see what happens at this point. So while we're in this purgatory of of cybersecurity, Garrett, what do we do? I'm a plan sponsor. How do I prevent problems at the record keeper level? What do I do at the participant level? Are there steps I can take, you think, to mitigate risk here? Absolutely. And I think at this point, every 401k plan and fiduciary committee should have this on their radar, on their agenda. They should be implementing some best practice measures. And there certainly are some best practice measures that I absolutely recommend. I think plans out there would be well advised to put into place. Certainly, there's no way that you can prevent these problems from happening you know, at the record keeper level or at the participant level. But as much as you can do to protect yourself to the extent possible, we certainly should be doing that. One thing that I certainly recommend we implement at Microsoft, spoken to my peers about as well, is ensuring that we have good language in our summary plan description for the 401k plan to make sure that it's clear to participants at the participant level that they're using strong passwords, that they're keeping them confidential, that they're implementing multi-factor authentication, assuming that that's available from the record keeper, establishing voice print or other types of measures and security technology that's available to them. And also considering providing essentially a best practice notice to participants, perhaps on an annual basis with your open enrollment materials or at some other time, just to remind them they're new employees who have recently set up a 401k account or the defined contribution account, or just need a refresher every once in a while that they need to be using strong passwords and keeping them confidential and doing all these things to make sure that their accounts are safe and putting a lot of the onus on them to do what they can to protect themselves. And then also certainly just doing your due diligence and monitoring, making sure that this is something that's on your fiduciary committee's agenda and it's in your you know, meeting materials and minutes that they're keeping track of this and monitoring the record keepers, incorporating it into any review of your service providers or record keepers, any RFPs that may go out. You want to make sure this is certainly incorporated into that as a really important factor. And even just looking at your record keeper contracts and seeing if there's you know, language in there to make sure it's clear what happens if there is an incident, you know, is the record keeper going to make the participants whole? Will they hold harmless and indemnify the plan? Things like that that are certainly best practice measures to implement if we can. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, we sometimes get lulled into false sense of security. We sign contracts how many years ago with our 401k vendor. We don't always revisit them because there isn't a whole lot of reason to. But I think it's a fair point that maybe it's time if you have one for a little while. Things change. Cybersecurity uh, concerns change. And maybe it's time to look back and see if there's anything needs to be updated. And frankly, there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with updating diligence either on an ongoing basis. You may have done a cybersecurity analysis of your record keeper five years ago. I think it's fair to say that cybersecurity five years ago is different than cybersecurity today. Best practices may have changed over time. So having a periodic diligence process seems to make a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. And I would just add to another sort of line of cases that we're seeing that even though it's not directly on point with some of these cybersecurity issues, it's, I think, 
indeed relevant looking at cases like there's the Harmon versus Shell case or the ADP case now where you have participants that are suing plans and record keepers for allegedly allowing the record keeper to use participants' personal information to market financial products from the record keeper, you know, independent of the plan. And the way that that's relevant to this issue is it's the underlying concept of whether or not plan participant data is a plan asset. And that's essentially what the plaintiffs in these cases are arguing. And depending on how those case law develops in this area, that could be a whole other wrinkle to this. If just plan participant data itself is considered a plan asset, just like the money that you have in your 401k plan as a plan asset, that I think really increases the scrutiny on everything that we're doing in the cybersecurity space as well. Very fair point and something we're definitely watching as well. See how those cases play out. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. And thank you all, our listeners, for joining us today on the Proskauer Benefits Brief. Stay tuned for more legal insights on employee benefits and executive compensation. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you very much.